You're listening to audio from Mercy's Door Community Church in Mascouda, Illinois. If you'd like to get more information about Mercy's Door, we'd love for you to connect with us on Facebook or check us out at mercysdoor.org. If you haven't read my shirt yet, you can see that I am a Star Wars fan. Uh, woo! Yeah, there we go. Uh, so I guess there's a few Star Wars fans here. For those of you who are Star Wars fans, you know that that doesn't actually mean that I like Star Wars. Star Wars fans are kind of known for hating certain parts of Star Wars. You know, the originals in the 70s and the 80s, the sequels in the thousands, the, the, the prequels in the thousands, the sequels later on, all the TV shows. Um, Star Wars fans are kind of known for being not very nice to each other. Uh, <laughs> uh, but just before COVID, when the world was about to start getting divided over vaccines, over masks, over politics, over so much, the Star Wars community actually came together in a beautiful way uh, with the release of my favorite TV show, The Mandalorian. Uh, And where Star Wars had gotten things wrong a whole bunch of times, they were getting things right. And we just all kind of came together and liked this one TV show together. Um, And they had my trust until this last year with season three. And... (laughs) It's a small thing, but this last year I have lamented the loss of my favorite TV show. (laughs) It's okay, you can laugh at that. Um, Trust is a funny thing, isn't it? For three years, I just enjoyed watching the show. I probably have watched the first season three or four times just because I like to go back to it and watch it again. Uh, And then it's just a short time, trust is gone, and now I feel like I've lost my favorite show. If we were all to list what are the top three things in our life that we have learned we should not trust, what would they be? Speaking personally, one of the things that I have learned, I'm trying not to learn this, but one thing that life experience has taught me is that I should not trust friends. Certainly not love in friends, love through friends. Um, there's this thing, I don't know if you guys are familiar with this. If you text somebody a question and they take 30 minutes to respond, do you respond right away or do you think, you know, they took 30 minutes to respond, I should probably wait at least five or 10 minutes to respond? Anybody? You guys raise your hands. Confession time. There we go. Um, what we do when we're doing that is we're kind of making our friendship, our relationship, our love conditional. And we only want to step out as far as they step out. Um, And the reason a lot of us do this is just because friends have hurt us in the past. Um, And when we have friends that we truly love, that love ends up hurting us. Uh, When our friends that we love hurt, we hurt with them. When our friends that we love move away, we hurt. When our friends, when we lose friendship for any number of reasons, uh, it hurts and so it's only natural for us to learn to kind of keep people a little bit at arm's, at arm's length because if we really invite people in and love our friends, it hurts. And so this morning I want to start by just acknowledging that many of us this morning are lamenting the loss of this deep friendship um, that God has designed for us. And just recognizing that truly loving is costly because it hurts. In English, we have one word for love. So me saying I love Star Wars, we use the word love. Me saying I love my wife, 
is love. Me saying I love my daughter is love. Uh, me saying I love Chick-fil-A is the same word for love. In the Greek, which this book is written in, there's actually four different words for love. So briefly, I'm going to kind of go through each one of these. The first one is pronounced storge, and storge is a love of affection. And so this is the love that we usually have for our family. It's things that we love because we see them all the time. I had an 11-hour commute to and from college for four years, and the first couple times I did it, I hated it because I had to figure out how to stay awake for 11 hours. But doing that five or ten times each way a year for four years, I learned each curve and each uh, scenery and each exit, and I knew which gas stations I liked to get gas at. Um, and now that I don't do the commute anymore, I actually miss this 11-hour commute. And I almost like want to go take my wife driving 11 hours on this drive just so that she can experience it with me. Um, my wife is not a road tripper, so she would hate that. But this storge love is a habitual love. It is a love of things that we see a lot. Um, there is one natural weakness to this love, and it is easy for this love, apart from God, to turn to unhealthy attachment. So the, uh, when my drive to and from college is interrupted by construction, it's like, oh my goodness, I can do this in 10 and a half hours, and now it's going to be 10 hours, 45 minutes. Um, when our family members usually, when we have kids and we eat breakfast with them every single day for 18 years, we, we love that and we learn to become attached to it, and then we lose it, and, you know, all right, you know, you're 30, you should be coming over for breakfast every day. Um, and so, devoid of the Spirit, this kind of love can make us attached to routine, and it can lead us to a place where we are demanding of others to do what they have always done. The second love is called philos. This is usually described as the friendship love. Philos is something that we love because it happens to meet our preferences. So the reason, so I philos love Star Wars because it's a nice little combination of it's not real, people fight, you know, it's relatively appropriate. Um, and so Star Wars happens to meet my preference most of the time. Um, friends, friendship that we form right in the beginning, we form friends because they are natural to talk to. We form friends because they also like to disc golf. We form friends because we're living together in a dorm. Uh, and we form this sort of philos friendship because we have things in common. A weakness in this love is that a philos love is conditional and it is exclusive. So, people that walk into our small group who don't look like us, who don't talk like us, who don't have the same hobbies, we don't really develop a philos love for them. And so it's easy for somebody to walk into church who is just a little bit different than me, and so we just don't jive. And so a philos love, devoid of the spirit, it's easy to just exclude people from it because we just don't jive together, and we let this condition of we need to at least have something in common or we need to be able to talk the same way about things. It separates people from us being able to love them if they're not the same as us. The third love is eros, which is romantic love, which leads to marriage. It's a beautiful thing. God created it. God created it for us to enjoy it. A common weakness in this love that I have been guilty of is it makes us blind and it's easy to make it into an idol. 
my wife is a wonderful woman, but she makes a really bad God. And it's easy for us to make this romantic love, this feeling, this like butterflies in the stomach. We can make this into an idol where because you have made me feel like this in the past, you need to always make me feel like this. And it becomes a love of receiving instead of a love of giving. So these first three loves are loves that everybody can do. These are loves that when we are lost, we are capable of loving in this way. Lost people make friends. Lost people fall in love. Lost people like routines, and they grow in affection psychologically in our brains. We just like things that we see all the time. Um, But this fourth love is something that we can't do without God. And the fourth love is agape. So defining agape is a a little bit more broad and deep than the other three, because God is the definition of agape. So first thing we know about agape love is that it comes from God. I'm going to have to open my Bible before I preach any further. It's probably a good habit. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God, and whoever loves God has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. Loving doesn't make us know God. Getting to know God leads to us loving. Experiencing God's love, living in God's love, allows us to, in response, love. So in these other three loves, the this, this storge love, when, our, when we have to send out family members, when we have to send out our kids, this agape love that God gives us, instead of trying to cling to our kids when we send them out, we get to sacrificially send them out in recognition that they were gods all along. In the philos love, we are only really able to be friends with the people who we jive with but when God's love that only he can give us starts to, to enter in, we can make friends with people who we just don't jive with naturally. People that uh, no matter how much time we spend together, we're never going to be best friends. We can still love those people because in our flesh we can't, but we can love those people because God loves those people and we can see his love for them. Um, in, the, in the romantic love, if we make our spouses into idols, we lose the feeling over time. And if marriage becomes about what I can get from you and what feelings I can get from you, then that will diminish. But as agape love that comes from God comes in, he sustains our love. And so, in this text, uh, John uses the word love 25 times. Every single one of them is agape. So this, this is what we're talking about today, is this kind of different love. And when we talk about agape love, when John tells us to agape one another, for agape is from God, and whoever agapes has been born of God and knows God, this is putting us into a posture of dependence. So please don't hear this morning, the point of this sermon is not, let's go home and let's try really hard to love the way God loves, because we can't. This is something that we are fundamentally dependent on God for. Only God can birth agape within us through his spirit. Uh, Second thing we know about agape love is that it is sacrificial. Uh, In this, the love of God, verse 9, was made manifest 
in this, the agape of God was made manifest. So what he's saying here, this is, this is, he's about to give you the definition of agape manifested. That God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. This is agape manifest, is the son of God, the son of God who hates our sin, the son of God who knows every bad thing we've ever done, the God who sees every weakness that we have, sent his only beloved son to come and teach and be with us and bear the wrath of God for our sins. This is what, this is what agape is. And so going back to those other three loves, the familial love, if it becomes about what am I getting from my family, what am I getting from Chick-fil-A, what am I getting from the things that I do all the time, then it's a self-serving love. But when God infuses it with his agape love, we can start to look at our families and say, how can I serve them? We start to say, how can I give of myself to my family? And in Philos love, it's not about how long should I wait after my friend texts me. It's not about how dedicated is my friend to me, and so then I will figure out how dedicated I am to my friend. Agape love is sacrificial. And even with the friends who stand us up four times in a row for a disc golfing date, a disc golfing bro date, they stand you up four times in a row, agape love says, reach out to them again. And don't take it personally that they stood you up, but pursue them. And we don't, you know, we can still have a conversation with somebody about why they're not showing up to your disc golf bro dates. But um, that agape love is sacrificial, and it is inherently risky because the manifestation of agape love is Jesus came and he died for us while we were still sinners died Christ died for us he didn't wait until he believed in him to die for us it is in our sin it is in the complete depths of our sin that he died for us Jesus didn't die for a single good person he died only for bad people like me And so Jesus went 100% of the way. He's not, you know, hey, you know, if you, if you give me a little more of your time, then I'll give you a little more of my love. If you give me a little bit more of your affection, I'll give you a little more of my affection. If you give me a little bit more of your money, I'll give you a little bit more of my money. Jesus has gone 100% of the way. He has laid his life on the line. He has literally already died, already given of himself completely to us. All we have to do is believe in his name. And so then the reason that we do any good thing is not so we can get something. It's in thankfulness for what we have already been given. In agape love, it starts to become nonsense to think about what can I do to get because I've already been given. This is the reason that, this is the reason that lost people and saved people struggle with marriage, but especially lost people, is when we get married, we have been given this person till death do us part. If we in Scripture believe that marriage is an eternal thing, that we don't just get to drop it willy-nilly, that is an incredible gift to be given. And when we are married, we have been given a life with someone. And then if we don't have Jesus giving us the ability to continue abiding in that love, 
and we continue to live in this, I get, I give so I get, I give so I get, I give so I get. Once we get married, it's a funny thing because I've already been given. There's no more to achieve. The question is, is like, can we abide in the love that God has given us? Can we abide in the things that the Lord has given us? Can we abide in his presence? Can we be thankful for what he has given us? The third thing about agape love is that it is unconditional and permanent. So with the, the friendship love, if our friend, the only thing we have in common with is that we like disc golfing, when that friend has a kid and no longer has time to go disc golfing three times a week, that philos friendship just kind of ends because our relationship was contingent on the fact that we have this thing in common. But agape love, in its riskiness, is not contingent on anything. We are called, when, when John tells us to love our brothers, we are called to love people who will not love us in return. We are called to love people who will disappoint us. We are called to love people radically who will leave us, who will move away, who will be sent, who will get mad at us and stop wanting to be our friends. And so, while the other three have sinful weaknesses, agape love has a holy weakness. And the holy weakness of agape love is that it is costly and it is risky. If all Jesus had to do to save us was come down and teach and do miracles, uh, I would still be thankful for that. But the cost of Jesus saving us was his life. And so the agape love that is made manifest in Jesus coming and dying for us, the question becomes, can we, in response and thankfulness for what Jesus has done, can we say, all right, Jesus, you have loved me radically. You have loved me radically repeatedly, even when I have not been faithful, even when I turn against you, even when I speak badly about you behind your back. And so in thankfulness for God's abiding and unconditional love for us, can we put ourselves out there and love unconditionally? Can we love riskily? Can we love radically? First um, Corinthians 13, the word that Paul uses there is also agape, the love chapter. In that chapter, Paul says that love never ends. This once again speaks to the, the enduring, the unconditional nature of agape love. And so this has been a little bit about, are you guys with me? You guys understand agape love now? Can I see some hands? Oh, good. All right. Now, so what? I've got three so what's. First, agape is our identity. We see that in the first word of our text this morning. John calls us beloved. This word beloved is the same beloved that that the Father speaks from heaven at Jesus' baptism. This is my son, my beloved son, with whom I am well pleased. And so we being washed by the blood, have been given, if only we believe in Jesus' name, we have been given the title of Jesus, of the Beloved One. And it's not conditional on anything that we do. It is, it is who the Father has said that we are. And so I have a question for us this morning. Why... Why do we struggle to believe that 
our, that agape is our identity? Why do we struggle to believe that what God says about us is unconditional, but depends only on the blood of Jesus? I can tell you one reason personally. I struggle to believe that God's love for me is unconditional because I struggle to love other people unconditionally. And I often end up trying to make God in my image instead of allowing him to form me into his image. And in doing so, in my flesh, there's a limit to the amount of times that I will forgive someone. In my flesh, there is a limit to the amount of times that I will pursue someone when they continually push me away. And so because of that, in my, in my mind, I can't imagine that God really will love me no matter what I do. And so this morning, what, what is inhibiting you from believing that your identity is based on what God has said about you and not what you do. Number two, agape is our mission. In this text, uh, verse 11, Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God is in us and his love is perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testified that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God abides in him and he in God. So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God abides in him. So in this, I should have counted in these verses, I think eight times that he uses the word God. If we are of God, God abides in us, and God is love. If we are in God, we will love others because God's Spirit is working in us to show us how He loves others. And so when, when John says, let us love one another, he is calling us to love others as Christ has loved us. And so there's three different kinds of people that we're called to love. When it says, let us love one another, let us love our brothers, this one another that he's talking about is the fellow believers in the room. So, here's a, how many people do you have in this room this morning, or maybe somebody who's not, who's usually here but is not here this morning, or maybe somebody who shows up here every once in a while who's not here this morning. How many people do you have here this morning that the Lord has given you this agape love for? Here's a, here's a few, here's a few tests to see if you really agape love somebody or if you just sort of love them. When someone doesn't show up for several weeks, do you miss them? Do you think maybe to reach out to them? Does the spirit stir in you, you know, what's going on, are they okay? When we really love people, we miss them when they're gone. Someone that we just Philos love. We may enjoy being with them when they're around, but we don't really need them to be there. Somebody we agape love, we long for when they are gone. Here's a second one. Someone that we agape love, 
we actually go to them for input. We value, we value them for their wisdom, for their knowledge. The friends that, when we don't know what to do, we send that text and say, hey, can I, can I call you? I've got a question. Or send that text saying, hey, I'm in this situation at work, and I want to say this to my boss, but I think he'll just fire me if I do. Uh, you know, how can I have this conversation in a way that just doesn't get me fired? The kinds of people that uh, when we see a movie or when we get, have a weird interaction with a stranger at a coffee shop, we think they'll be interested to hear about this. The friends that are dear to our hearts, the friends who, when they hurt, we hurt with them. How many people do you have, how many people do I have, how many people do we have in our lives that we love like that? in this costly way. The answer for me is not nearly enough. And the question is why? Why, why, do, we, why do we withhold? Why, why is our love often so conditional for our fellow believers? Personally, The number one reason that I do not love others radically in an agape way is because I am not resting in God's agape love for me. So if agape love is something that we are dependent on God from, it's not something in our tool belt that we can just like pull out whenever we want. It's something that we need to be going to him first because he defines agape love. We can't you can't, even, you can't even learn agape love from me this morning. The Spirit has got to show you his agape love because the flesh cannot understand this love. The flesh always wants to love so that we can get. It's only God who can show us to love and desire to serve and to give out and to give away as Jesus gives away. And so... Verses 17 and 18. By this is love perfected with us, so that we may have confidence for the day of judgment. Because as he is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Those of us who are saved, those of us who are washed by the blood, those of us who have believed in the name of Jesus, there is there is now, therefore, no condemnation for us in Christ. The punishment has already been served on Christ on the cross. Are there any sins this morning that you don't believe God has forgiven? Are there any things that you've done that you won't even internally admit to because you don't believe that God could actually forgive that. With the people in front of us, there's always a limit as to how far we can push them and how much we can hurt them before they will stop loving us. I wish it wasn't so. I think we could aspire that it would not be so with us, but it's just, it's just a fact. We can only hurt someone so much before they'll stop loving us back. 
but not only will God forgive anything that we have already done, will not, not only will God forgive any sin that we have done, Jesus died because of us. Jesus had to die. <laughs> that's, that's the worst thing that could have ever have happened. Nothing could ever be worse than the father having to crucify his own son who did not deserve death for what he did. So church, my prayer for us this morning is that we would be able to rest in the assurance that God's agape love for us is unending. That God's agape love for us is unconditional. That God's agape love for us, if we are saved, is, is shown in the love that the Father has for the Son. And the righteousness of the Son has been credited to our account. And so, in closing this morning, we're called in Scripture to love God. We're called in Scripture to love our neighbors. And we're even called in Scripture to love our enemies, which is a crazy thing. We can't have affection for our enemies. We can't. We don't have anything in common with our enemies. We are not romantically attached to our enemies. But God somehow is able to give us this agape love, even for those who persecute us. And Jesus says, Love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Verse 20, If anyone says, I love God and hates his brother, he is a liar. For he who does not love his brother, whom he has seen, cannot love the God whom he has not seen. And this commandment we have from him, whoever loves God must also love his brother. Church, it's important to keep in mind that God is asking us to love each other. It's important to us to keep in mind that God is calling us to love our neighbors. It's important for us to keep in mind that God is calling us to love the lost people around us. But the most important thing this morning, if you remember one thing this morning, is that the most important thing is that God loves us. So what does it look like to abide in his love? It's probably easier to tell you what it looks like to not abide in God's love. When I am not abiding in God's love, I get anxious. When I am not abiding in God's love, I start to work frantically trying to earn his favor, trying to earn the favor of those around me. I close my lips and don't confront sin because I don't trust that because I'm not willing to lose a relationship with a brother in front of me because I don't love God more. When I don't abide, I strive. When I don't abide, just like this anxiety of like trying to earn something that we know that we can never earn. This agape love of God is not something that we could ever earn. This agape love is a freely given gift. So what does it look like to walk in God's agape love? This morning, my hope is that abiding in God's agape love looks like asking him to help us abide in his agape love. Because 
God loves us, and he desires for us to live and to abide in his love. He desires for us to, in thankfulness for what he has done, be able to go and do. He doesn't want us to bear the burden of trying to earn his love. He has told us we could never earn his love. So many times, there's something that I just desperately want, and I pray for anything but that. Anybody else? Anybody else do that? We pray for everything except for the things we really want. So this morning, can we just go to God and ask him, Lord, show me your love. Help me to trust that my identity is rooted in you and what you say about me instead of what I do. Help me to stop striving to try and earn something from you that I could never earn. Abiding in God's love looks like admitting that we need his help.